Well, good morning again. You know, I, I tend to be, I think, a, a fairly cautious person. Before I do something that is just absolutely insane, okay, maybe cautious isn't quite the right word, but before I do something like that, I, I first like to at least in some way feel like I'm ready, I'm prepared uh, for whatever it is I'm about to embark on. And I want to have some glimmer of hope, something that would lead me to believe that, you know, maybe even if it's just only if God shows up that in the end, it's going to work out okay. And yet, so many of the, the best adventures that, that I've been on in life have been things that have come with no ability to prepare and honestly with no thought that it could ever end well. Here's an example. Uh, back in the 1990s, I signed up to go on a mission trip to Chernobyl, Ukraine. And we were going at Christmas time and we were gonna deliver presents to little kids. We were gonna go door to door giving out Christmas gifts to these little kids who were suffering the after effects of the nuclear disaster there in Chernobyl. And, and so here this team has come together from all over the United States to give presents to little kids. Well, the Russian government didn't let the presents into the country. So what do you do with a team who has come together over the idea of delivering Christmas presents to small children? Well, I guess you send them into maximum security prisons in the northern part of Russia to share the gospel with convicts, because that's what we did. We went into the darkest, dankest, most vile places that I have ever witnessed in my life. Quite honestly, nothing could have prepared us for the things that we saw, for the odors that we smelled, for the conditions that we witnessed, or for the conversations that we had. You know, quite honestly, if that had been what the trip was going to be about, I'm not really sure that I would have signed up. Oh, not because it was unpleasant or frightening, though it was quite unpleasant, and there were a few moments that were more than frightening. But probably more so because I, I don't think I would have felt competent. I, I don't think I would have felt like that was something that I'd be good at or that I could do. And you know what? That is true of so many things. So many things where, where God has put me in a corner where I had no other way out and I ended up being stuck doing this thing. It's just like, what do you do? They're not going to let you fly home. They're taking you to the prison. You're a part of this now. And God shows up. And something spectacular happens that you never could have imagined and that quite honestly, as you look at yourself, you have to realize, I didn't have that in me. I didn't have the ability to do that. So much of life is like that. And yet, so many times we hesitate to jump in when the Lord opens the door. You know, 
just jumping in sometimes is a good way to live. Now, I don't think that should become the general rule of your life, okay? You don't want to just leap before you look in general. But you know what? When it comes to the things that Christ has called us to, when it comes to the doors that the Lord opens for us to walk through, that's actually a pretty good way to live. Just jump in. You know what it's like. The longer you stand up there at the end of the high dive, the less likely you are to ever jump off of it. Sometimes, when we're talking about doing the things that God has called us to do, sometimes it's just better to jump. And really, that's what we see Jesus telling his disciples to do in our passage for this morning. He's telling his guys, just go. No, 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 go. Stop what you're doing and go. Go, get out there and do this thing that I've called you to do. Well, let's take a look at this together. We're in Luke chapter 9. We're going to look at the first nine verses of, of Luke 9. And let me tell you, nothing makes me happier than when I see you walking in carrying your Bible. I love to see you carrying your Bible and opening it up, and you can follow along in your Bible, and you can mark it up, and you can make some notes, you know, say things like, I have no idea what he was talking about here, you know, or that made absolutely no sense. And then you can ask later and get really confused. But, you know, the more you invest in this process, the more you get out of it. So grab your Bible or a Bible and open up to Luke chapter 9. I'm going to read the passage. I invite you to follow along. Will you do this? Will you stand out of respect for the word of God? Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, Luke writes this. Summoning the 12, he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. Then he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick Take nothing for the road, he told them. No staff, no traveling bag, no bread, no money, and don't take an extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. If they do not welcome you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and traveled from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing everywhere. Herod the Tetrarch heard about everything that was going on. He was perplexed because some said that John had been raised from the dead, some that Elijah had appeared, and others that one of the ancient prophets had risen. I beheaded John, Herod said, but who is this I hear such things about? And he wanted to see him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I, I believe, Lord, that your Holy Spirit has shaped and formed our text this morning, as with every text. That what you inspired Luke to write here in this section, Lord, it, it has a message for us. It, it has a purpose to speak to us. And God, I pray that you would, you would give us the grace to see that bigger picture 
to understand the details. Lord, to, to perceive the integrity of your word and the message of your word. And God, more than anything else, I pray that as we hear what it is that you say, that we would not only receive it, but we would choose to do it. God, we would not just be hearers of the word, but we would be doers as well. God, that we would do the thing you've called us to do. Move us this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. You know, up to this point, I, I think it's fair to say that the disciples were more than anything else merely observers of the ministry of Jesus. They were there watching Jesus as he healed people. They were there with Jesus while he taught the people. Oh, they asked questions and then Jesus answered them and they followed him from place to place. But now, now here at the beginning of chapter 9, Jesus brings a whole new dynamic into play. He changes everything because he changes these men from observers into agents, from observers into participants. Let's take a look. Verse 1, summoning the 12. So he calls the 12 and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to heal diseases. And then he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now this fits perfectly with what Jesus has said that his intention was for these men from the very beginning. When Jesus first called this group together, uh, one place that talks about that is in Mark chapter 3. It's very clear that Jesus called them for really two purposes. First, and foremost, he called them to be with him. Jesus called them so that they might be with him and they might know him. And so they were with him and they followed him and they lived with him and they experienced him and they came to understand who he was. And they were changed by that. But then he called them for a second purpose. He didn't want them just to know him and to be with him. He also called them that he might send them out, that he might send them out to make him known to others. And so in, in Mark 3, 14 and 15, we read this. He appointed 12 whom he also named apostles or messengers. First, to be with him. And secondly, to send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Dear friends, please understand this. This is true of us as well. This is true of us as well. Jesus has called us to be with him, to worship him, to know him to draw close to him, to be changed by him. But he has also called us that he might send us out to make him known to this world in which we live. That is what you and I are supposed to be all about, knowing Jesus and making him known. That's the thing that ought to get us up in the morning. That's the thing that we are to be expending our energy on, 
knowing him more and making him known to others. Everything else, it's just a support system. That is the main thing. That is the thing that we are called to. That is the purpose for us drawing air and taking up space here on this planet is that we might know him more and more and we might make him known to all those who are living around us. That's the job Jesus gave us to do, right? We're probably most familiar with how it's worded in Matthew chapter 28. I think it's in verse 19 there, where Jesus says it so simply, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples, Jesus says. That's your job. That's the thing that, that I've called you to do. That is the task uh, for which I have prepared you and, and for which I am providing for you. It's so that you might go and life on life, one person at a time, you might make disciples. We are called by God to lob gospel bombs from a distance, okay? That isn't what it's about. We are called to make disciples. And this is how how Paul describes it to the Thessalonians. He reminds them of how it was that he interacted with them. First Thessalonians chapter two, Paul says this, we cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Think about that, friends. Think about that. We are not called by Christ to witness. We are called by Christ to make disciples. And there is a relational dynamic to that. We are called to give people the gospel and to give them our lives. And we can't just do one and not the other. We can't just lob gospel grenades into a crowd and just kind of see what happens. We're to share our lives and the gospel one-on-one -on -one discipling others. Not only that they would make a decision for Christ, but then that they would grow in their walk with Christ and that they would become a discipler as well. Nor are we to just invest relationally and never quite get around to sharing Jesus. We've got to have both. We've got to have our life and we've got to have the gospel. We've got to walk together toward Christ with others, making disciples so that they can then turn and make disciples as well. Now notice this, Jesus sends these men not only with his message, but he also gives them his power. His power to do the things that he's been doing, to do the things that he is now calling them to do. Now, it's interesting, in Luke 24, uh, so much further along in the gospel we're studying, just before Jesus sends his disciples out for the big one, just before he sends them out that final time, Jesus actually says, um, hold on. And this whole passage is about, no, don't hold on, just go. Just go and trust me that I'm going to take care of you. But before he sends them out for that last one, Jesus says, I want you to wait. I want you to go to the city of Jerusalem, and I want you to wait there until the outpouring. 
outpouring of the Holy Spirit comes. Until I empower you with the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit, the power of God's Holy Spirit to enable you to do this thing that I've called you to do. You know, Jesus offers that to us too. He offers us that overpowering, overwhelming, enabling, empowering gift of his spirit to enable us to do the thing he's called to do. You know, we talk about doing these things, about life on life, discipling others in their walk with Christ and, and, and really engaging in the work like this. I don't know about you, but I know for me, I feel incapable. I feel ill-equipped, incompetent. So I, I just, I assume the worst about you. I know I'm supposed to assume the best, but it, I assume that you're like me and that you feel incompetent and, and that maybe there's some hesitancy within you as well. Here's the thing, that doesn't have to be there. He, he's offered to empower us, to give us more power than, than we could ever need. He has offered to give us a very good thing. In fact, in, in just a couple chapters, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus is going to talk to his disciples, he's, and he's going to talk about how, how you being evil fathers know how to give good gifts, okay? Even though you're a mess, he says, yet when you give a good gift to your kid, you you know how to do that. Even you can do that. What do you think God is going to do? God, who is the perfect father, who is the perfectly loving father, if you ask him, he will give you. And Jesus is very specific here. This isn't just some sort of blanket, gimme, gimme statement. He is very specific. He says, if you ask your father for the Holy Spirit, he will give him to you. So maybe you feel like you don't have that equipping. Maybe you feel like I don't have this overpowering gift of the Holy Spirit to enable me to do this work of discipleship that has been assigned to me. Well, the Bible gives you a very simple protocol to follow. Ask. Ask. He is your loving Father. He will delight in giving this gift to you that will enable you, that will empower you to do the work that he has called you to do. And yet, though he has offered to give us all that we would need, yet we hesitate, don't we? We hesitate. We're a little bit gun shy. We're not quite ready to step out. And I think the disciples, they were in much the same place as Jesus shares with them that he's going to send them out and he's getting them ready to go. Take a look at how he sends them and what it is that he says to them. Beginning in verse three, take nothing for the road, he told them. No staff, no traveling bag, no bread, no money. And don't take an extra shirt. Don't take an extra shirt. Well, why is that even there? Well, here's my understanding of it. Jesus is telling the disciples that he's about to send them out 
They've been traveling around Galilee, ministering in the various villages. And now Jesus says, listen, boys, I'm pairing you up. I'm sending you out. And you all, you're going to go in different directions and you're going to minister in these communities. And I'm going to give you the power to heal the sick and to, to free those who are captive to demons. And you are going to declare my message everywhere you go. And all the disciples are whipping out their smartphones and they're going on to Amazon. And they're going, okay, knapsack, sleeping bag, ooh, walking stick. Let's get three. You, ne- you know, I lose them all the time. Okay. And, and they're... And they're like, oh, okay, let's let's go back. Um, okay, so Jesus wants to send us out. I think a week from next Thursday will be good. That'll give us time to review the Sermon on the Mount a little bit. And Matthew, do you got your notes from that? Let's take a look at that again. And they're like us. They're hesitant. And Jesus is like, no, stop. Go. Take what you have. Go. Go and do the thing that I've asked you to do. And trust me that I'm going to empower you to do it. Trust me that I'm going to take care of what you need so you can do the thing that I've asked you to do. I'm a bad dad, okay? I often ask my kids to do things that they are incapable of doing, okay? Because I'm an idiot. It's just, it's how it is. And so, but God doesn't do that, okay? God doesn't, oh, I didn't realize it was that heavy. Yeah, I can't lift that. You know, you know, oh, I, I didn't know it worked like that. Sorry, you'll heal. You're young. You know, God doesn't ask us to do things that he can't then enable us to do. And so he, Jesus is saying, guys, I want you to go. I just want you, don't start gathering. Just go. Just step out in faith. Now, critics love to point out that there is an apparent contradiction here between the gospel accounts of what Jesus does here, actually between what Jesus says to the disciples as they prepare to go out. Um, First and foremost, let me say this. The message is very clear. In all three gospels, Jesus is very clearly saying, knock it off, go. Stop what you're doing. No, 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 don't finish that. Put it down, go. Go. No, I mean now, guys. Go. And so that, that's what Jesus is saying. Very clearly, there's no doubt. But for those who need to, to have this uh, apparent contradiction dissolved, here, here's what it is. Luke says this. He says, take nothing for the road. He told them, no staff. Okay? Take nothing, no staff. Um, Matthew says, Don't take a traveling bag for the road or even an extra shirt, sandals, or a staff. Mark 6, 8 says, he instructed them to take nothing for the road except a staff. No bread, no traveling bag, no money for their belts. So what do you do with that? Are they supposed to take a staff or are they not supposed to take a staff? And actually, as you look deeper into it, are they supposed to take sandals or no sandals? If they're wearing sandals, should they be taking the sandals off before they leave? Okay, so there's all these questions. Oh, what do we do with this? And the original language actually does help us some as we begin to sort this out. Now, you're going to have to pay attention. It's a little bit hard to follow. But Matthew... 
Matthew uses a word that means to go and to get, to acquire. In the original Greek, it means to order on Amazon. Maybe not. But that's the idea. That's the idea. It means to, to gather stuff that you don't have. In other words, to gather up all these extra supplies for the journey. And Jesus says, stop it. Stop it. Take what you have and go. Okay, now, now Mark, he uses a word that means to take up or to carry, like packing a suitcase, okay? And, and so he's saying, listen, don't pack up a big supply. I don't want to see a roll of 12 walking sticks on your back and, and three extra sleeping bags and, you, you know, something for every possible situation. He says, stop it. Just take what you have. Go. Okay? It's interesting because Mark says uh, um, no no staff, but he also says, don't bring sandals. But none of us are imagining the disciples saying, okay, and taking off their shoes before they, no, he's talking about extra stuff. He's saying, don't pack up a bunch of extra stuff. Now, here's the problem. Luke uses the same word as Mark. He uses that same word to pack up. That When Mark uses, it means to, to pack something up, it's to, to load your pack. But every time Luke uses that word, he uses it, to mean to go and buy something, to go and get something, to acquire something. And when he talks about picking something up to carry it or to pack it along with you, he uses an entirely different word. So all three of them are saying the same thing. Take what you have and go. Quit delaying. Stop hesitating. Trust me that I've got you covered. Hey, okay, don't take off your sandals. Don't chuck your staff. Just as you are with what you've got, let's go. Let, let's begin to make forward progress, not on preparations, but on the actual project. And that attitude, that, that focus on just doing what it is that God's given us to do, that is to be continued as they journey. Notice this, look at verse four. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. So they were to go to a village. They were to find someone who was willing to, to hear their message and to welcome them into their home, which would have been a normal thing in that day and time, okay? But what Jesus is saying is, spend your time preaching the message, not upgrading your accommodations. Well, what Jesus is telling you guys is, listen, you show up to a town, you share the message, someone responds, they invite you to their house, you show up and you're sharing a room with their three kids. Hmm. Okay, so you go out and you keep preaching. And the next day, someone else hears your message and he's got a spare room in a hot tub. Okay, who would refuse that blessing from the Lord? Let's move over there. And so you go over there and then you're sharing the message the next day and you meet this guy who actually has on retainer a private masseuse. Thinking, you know, the gospel work is hard. And this will just make me more effective day after day. And you're spending all your time seeking to improve your accommodations instead of staying focused on the task. Us too. How much of our focus is spent on upgrading our earthly accommodations 
rather than just taking on the task that he's given us to do. Oh, there's nothing wrong with having a place to live. Most of us like that. That's not the point. But when it becomes our obsession, our focus, and we can't, we can't, we can't put our, our shoulder to the work that God has given us to do because we're expending ourselves solely upon the stuff of this life, we've missed the mark. We've been, now that, that kind of hurts, doesn't it? That one stings. That's less like preaching and more like meddling, isn't it? And yet, this is what Jesus tells his disciples. Keep your focus on the work. Make that the thing that you're about. The next thing Jesus says here in verse 5 is this, if they do not welcome you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against it. Now, remember, Jesus had not been welcomed everywhere he went. Remember Nazareth? Yeah, that little thing where they tried to throw him off a cliff? That was not nice, okay? Can you imagine the disciples? As Jesus begins to send them out, they're like, um, yeah, I don't really feel called to Nazareth. No, I, I think John does, though. You might check with him. I was kind of feeling led the other direction. No one's going to want to go to Nazareth. Corazon, ah, no, thanks. Yeah, no, they, they weren't really that hospitable there. I think maybe I feel called to Magdala. Things were really good there. I feel, yeah, oh, my heart is just so warm for Magdala. You know, the disciples are going to experience some rejection. In fact, Jesus says this in John chapter 15, if the world hates you, understand it hated me first, okay? He basically says, listen, I called you out of the world. You're not of the world, so they are going to hate you. They, they hated me first, so they're gonna hate you. And no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, guess what? They're going to persecute you. So Jesus knows his disciples are going to face rejection. And so here, he's telling them what to do. You and I, I what happens when we face rejection? Half the time we act as if no one in the whole Bible ever faced rejection. No one in the whole history of the church has ever been shot down and shut down when they were trying to do some kind and wonderful thing in the name of Jesus. We're just like, what? But, but I was doing a good, a good thing. They hate me because I did a good thing. What is wrong with this world? It's just, we're offended. And we can get angry. And, oh, well, how dare they? You know, you read the Bible. This world rejects God again and again. And so knowing that that's what we're going to face, Jesus is here. Listen, I got this covered for you. Simple procedure. Shake it off and keep moving. Shake it off and keep moving. So this world has shut you down. This world has rejected you. They have rejected this good thing that you wanted to do. Okay, great. great. I'm sorry. It, does it hurt? Yeah. It looks like it hurt. Shake it off. God will deal with them. Let God be the one to deal with them. He will. Keep moving. Keep sharing. Don't 
let it stop you. That's what they did. That's what they did. Village to village, place to place, proclaiming his message, acting in his power, shaking it off when they had to shake it off. And things began to happen and, and, and word began to get out so much so that Herod the Tetrarch, the ruler of Galilee and Perea, this large region, Herod Antipas, he hears about what is going on. Look at verse six. So they went out and traveled village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing everywhere. And Herod the Tetrarch heard about everything that was going on. The disciples did what they were supposed to do. And they healed, they freed, they proclaimed the message of repentance from sin and turning to and putting hope in the Christ. They did what Jesus was doing. They represented him. And that's our job too, isn't it? That's our job. We are to represent Jesus here in this world around us. When you enter a room, you are entering on behalf of Jesus. When you come into a situation, you come into that situation to represent Jesus, his perspectives, his goals, his thoughts. Not ours, but his. And when we do that, when we represent to this world around us the compassion of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, the gentleness, the message of the need for repentance of sin, the hope that we have in the Savior, when we seek to free those who are captive to evil, and we, we pray for the healing of those who are being devoured by sickness, when we represent Jesus, things begin to happen. And the world, the world can begin to take notice. I'm not sure that's always a good thing. I don't think it was a good thing here. Herod noticed. Herod, who had killed John the Baptist, that Herod, he's the one who noticed. Partway through verse 7, Herod was perplexed because some said that John, that's John the Baptist, had been raised from the dead. Some said that Elijah had appeared. Elijah, who Malachi tells us was going to come before the return of the Messiah, before the Messiah shows up, that Elijah would come back one more time. Or, or maybe some others were saying one of the ancient prophets has resurrected. Herod himself said, well, I beheaded John. I don't know who this is. He, he's like, he's, he's confused. Here's a story with Herod. Herod Antipas, or Herod the Tetrarch, as he was called, um, went on a little business trip to Rome. While he was there, he visited his brother, Herod Philip, who happened to be married to their niece, yes, their other brother's daughter, whose name was Herodias. Well, Herod Antipas kind of, he thought she was all that. And so he decides to steal his brother's wife, who is also his niece, and he brings her home with him problem, um, numerous problems. He's already married. He comes home and, oh yeah, I'm already married. There's a woman here who's my wife and the queen. 
So I will divorce her, which starts a war with her father's kingdom, by the way. And um, this is just a stinking mess. And so John the Baptist has the temerity to say, um, excuse me, I see about 17 problems with this arrangement. And I've written out a list for you. And I have a five-point sermon on you know, what needs to happen. And so John delivers that sermon and Herodias does not like it at all. She is so offended that John would judge her. And so Herod ends up arresting John the Baptist, but that isn't enough for Herodias. So Herodias gets her daughter, whose name is Solomon, or is, is, whose name is something like that. Salome, Salome. And well, Herod is entertaining a bunch of dignitaries at a banquet. She comes out and does an erotic dance. That's right, his stepdaughter does an erotic dance and he is so overcome with lust and arrogance that he says to his daughter, stepdaughter, whatever you want, up to half my kingdom. I will give it to you. Honestly, I think he was hoping that she would ask for her mother's place. But she doesn't. She doesn't. You see, she and her mom have been talking, and what she asks for is John the Baptist's head separated from his body and given to her on a platter. And so Herod murders John. Sometimes when we do exactly what we're supposed to do. Sometimes when we represent Jesus, just the way that we're supposed to represent Jesus, sometimes powerful people notice and they come against us. Yeah, they oppose us. They, they even persecute us. Now, you and I living here in this day, we don't really experience any of that. But our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world do. Those in Nigeria, in China, in Iran, in Pakistan, in Saudi Arabia, in the Sudan, in Syria, in Turkey, so many other places, so many of our brothers and sisters in Christ, when they're doing the thing that they're supposed to do, Powerful people take note and they come after them. You know, I don't think it's ridiculous to say that we could see that here in our day. I don't think it's ridiculous to think that even before our day has come and gone that we won't be experiencing that ourselves. And if it does, we will need to trust him for that too. And still go. And still share. And still do the thing that he has called us to do. Because that is what he's called us to. It, it, this is the, the job that he's given us. Is we are to be those who know Jesus and who make him known to the world around us. So what all do we see here? We see that you and I, we've got a job to do, don't we? 
We've got a task that our Lord has given us, a command, okay? A command that he has, he has given to us, and that's this, that we are to represent him here in this world. We are to come to know him. We are to be with him and to grow in our walk with him, and then we are to go out to make him known in this world all around us. And this is something that we have to do intentionally. This isn't a passive thing. This isn't a passive endeavor that'll just kind of happen like osmosis. This is something that we are going to have to decide to do. And then we're going to have to decide how to do it and when we are going to do it and where we are going to do it. We are going to have to plan this just like we would plan anything that we do. We've got to be active. We've got to be engaged. We've got to make this a priority so that we would end up actually pursuing it with the living of our lives. This is to be the thing that we get up for. This is to be the thing that we lay down to rest so that we can do again. We need to do it knowing that we are incapable on our own. That we need that overflowing power of the Holy Spirit to be refreshed in us day by day to equip and to enable us to be able to, well, first to have the courage to step out and then two, to have the ability to be faithful. But the good thing is we have a loving father who is just aching to give us what we need. But we've got to stop ordering stuff on Amazon. We've got to stop delaying. We've got to stop putting it off. And we've got to begin engaging. We've got to step out and trust him to meet our needs, to lead us as we go, and to begin to expend our lives for the sake of the gospel, to make disciples, to engage our lives. That's really the riskiest part, isn't it? I can throw a gospel bomb from 20 yards. That's easy. He asked me to let someone into my life enough to be able to share with them the reality of the gospel working within my own life. Oh, that's risky. We need the Holy Spirit to do it. But that, that, that's what we're called to do. That's the task that he's given us to know him more, and to make him known. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this passage. And God, I ask, God, for all of us who feel inadequate, who feel unable, for all of us who are so comfortable with hesitation, so reticent to jump, pour out your Holy Spirit, Lord. God, give us that boldness, that power that comes from your Holy Spirit working within us. God, I pray that we would be faithful and that you would make our faithfulness fruitful. That you would accomplish both in us and through us those things that you desire and that we would begin purposefully investing our lives 
in discipleship, in, in, in relationships that will grow us closer to you, and in relationships where we can be used by you to grow others. God, that we would spend ourselves on building your kingdom, making you glorious. Lord, we worship you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.